awesome to have you with us today. What a great day to be in church. Excited coming off the heels of yesterday, baptized, uh, well, baptized oceans yesterday. Now we're going to get ready for baptizing California. Excited about that. But uh, if you're brand new today, I want to say a big welcome to Oceans Church. Uh, we're so glad that you're here. We know every week there's people that show up that have zero faith. They have, they, have, they have no faith or they have faith in something other than Jesus. And we just want you to know that we're glad you're here. We love people that don't think like us. We love people that don't live like us. And I want you to know that you don't have to be a part of a, a religious sector or uh, be raised in the church to be welcome in Oceans Church. Jesus loved all walks of life. And I want you to know no one's making you change today. I believe it's the goodness of God that kind of opens our eyes. And so uh, welcome to Oceans today. Come on, give me a hand clap. Welcome all of our new people today. We're excited you're here. Um, I wanted to do this before I got started today. Actually, one of our young men of our church is getting ready to be deployed. Brandon Patino, where are you at? Brandon, would you stand up real quick? He's uh, one of our Marines, brave Marines. Hoorah. And uh, would you be very stretch forth your hands today? He's serving this morning on our security team. We put all the bad men in our church that know how to use weapons well in our security team. And so, God, we just thank you for Brandon. We just we stretch forth our hands today. We bless him. We thank you for all the brave men and women that serve in our armed services. I pray that you would surround angels today, even assign angels that would be with him all the way there, all the way home. I just thank you that you bring them there safely, bring them home back safely. We just thank you that he'd have so many opportunities to be light, to be salt, and he'd come back with so many testimonies of how good God is. We pray you bless him, Lord. We just thank you for all that he's doing for our nation and all that he's doing with you and for you. We bless him today in Jesus' name. All of everyone said amen. 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 We love you, Brandon. Thanks so much, brother. Thank you for what you're doing for our nation. Well, hey, I'm excited to be in church this morning. I love what God is doing in Oceans. We are in the middle of a three-and-a-half-year revival. Uh, it started with eight of us moving down from Boise, Idaho. Didn't know anybody here. Uh, we had actually one, one connection, my man Santiago and Marlene. We went to Bible college together in Idaho. He lived in Santa Ana. He met us at our first interest gathering, and I said, there's at least one person that we know here. And uh, I'm like, God's going to move. So we started there, and uh, we started at Capitol Valley High School. We, we did interest gatherings before that. We got kicked out of that theater just in time for COVID. Tough, tough crowd, I guess. Uh, so we, uh, we, we got out of there. We were in the Hills Hotel for a, a couple months. And then God gave us our first property in San Juan, which is where our San Juan campus is meeting right now. And I'll be honest, San Juan, today actually isn't as bad in the tents. After last Sunday, I was tempted to live stream from San Juan's air conditioning. Um, but not, not too bad today. So... Uh, we started in San Juan Capistrano, and God did a great work there. In the middle of COVID, our church quadrupled in size. Uh, was it because you guys were that great? I'm like, no, I think we're the only ones that were open. <laughs> and I think people that came, maybe just because their church was shut down, discovered something in this church that was special. And they started bringing their friends to it, and God started building his church. The gates of hell started having a nervous breakdown. And uh, we've been celebrating ever since. And so... Um, so honored that you're here today. Every week we open up the Bible here. We believe that God loves Orange County. We believe that God loves you. And you're not here today so God can spank you. We believe that you're here today to experience the goodness of God. Last time I checked, not too many people turn their hearts to God by hearing how screwed up they are. 
most people want to open up their lives to Jesus because they find out how good he is. I believe it is the goodness of Jesus that leads us back to him. And today I want to let you know that he's a good God. And maybe you're here today and you don't know him and you're only here to appease your girlfriend that says, we're breaking up unless you come to church. Welcome. Every week, you'd be shocked at how many people are preachers in the body of Christ because of that sentence. So welcome to Oceans. Um, I want to I tell you that today we're going to open up the Bible. We just finished a series uh, that we've been in for a while. We're starting a brand new one today. And uh, God's been really speaking to me a lot, kind of been, been showing me that a big part of our ability to have a friendship with God is God reserves his closest level of friendship to those that believe him the most. Something about God that he wants to be believed. He's a, he's a father that wants to be believed in. He's a dad that wants you to have confidence in him. And I, I believe this, that that's why Abraham is the father of our faith. Notice that Moses was a great lawgiver. He was a great leader. He was a great writer. Uh, we see people like Joshua that was a great general. People like Elijah that were great prophets. People like Noah that were great builders. But what made God say to the children of Israel, that guy Abraham, he's my friend. What would make a human being a friend of the Most High God? Well, here's the testament. The greatest legacy of Abraham's life was he, he was a man that had great faith. And I believe it is faith in God that allows us to live close to God. And I actually would say today that some of you that are feel far from God, it's oftentimes because your belief, ability, in your heart has been disconnected. It has been broken. It has been fractured. And I feel like this series is all about God restoring your ability to see God's goodness again. If you believe it, come on, say amen. So we're going to open up the Bible. We're going to read. We'll be looking at a lot of Abraham's life in this series. But God has given me this phrase lately. I don't think it's, uh, I, I think it is prophetic for the season that our church is in. I believe there's moments, how many believe this, that there's times that God speaks to you that it's for you, but it's also for more than you. How many have ever experienced, even being in a church, that God says something to the church that you're like, whoa, I think that's for more than just our church. I think that's for us. That's for my wife. That's for my child. That's for me. That's for my business. I feel like this is a prophetic series we're going to start today. And I want you to write this title down. This is kind of the first installment of what I feel like God wanted me to share with you today. Is The title is, As Far As You Can See. As Far As You Can See. Say it with me. As, as you can see. Awesome. So today, I'm going to open up to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to read about 12 verses in all. We'll go from 12 to 13. Everything I talk about is connected to these 12 verses. And I want to talk to you a little bit about your ability to see today. Is that all right? So let's go Genesis chapter 12. We're going to read about a guy named Abraham. Abraham is interesting because essentially, if you don't know anything about Father Abraham, who had... This is not a cult. That's a Sunday school song. And so if you're raised in church, you know that. So I just want to clarify because everyone's like, well, what is going on? Why did they all just do that? <laughs> is there snakes here? What's going on? Um, no. Uh, Father Abraham's, a, it's, a, it's a classic song. It won some double words back in the day. Um, father Abraham is uh, the father of our faith. Living under the old covenant, he's referred to as the father of everyone that would go on to believe. Pretty amazing because the book of Genesis, which we're going to go to today, everyone said, whew. 
It's always relief, right? When the preacher tells you to go somewhere easy. We're going to the book of Genesis. Like, I, I know where that book's at. <laughs> so we're going to Genesis chapter 12. And basically, Genesis is 50 chapters. It covers 2,000 years. 2,000 years. 2,000 years. It covers 20, over 20 generations. But what's interesting about the book of Genesis is that one-third of the book is dedicated to one man named Abraham. His name was Abram, which means father, which is always embarrassing when your name means dad and you can't have kids. Spent his whole life kind of embarrassed. Everyone's like, hey, dad, where's your kids? I don't have kids. I can't have kids. We're senior citizens. We're childless. And God names him, God allows his dad, Tara, to name him father when he has no kids. And then he gives him a promise, and he goes, no, you're not, you're not going to be dad. It's going to be big daddy from now on. It's going to be Abraham. It's a modern translation. All right. So today, uh, if you're new to church and you're wondering why you should pay attention, is I believe this fundamentally. Here's my thesis for this series. I believe that with God, when we're walking with him, historically, he's given his people as far as they can see as far as they can see. What you see with God will become the reality of your life. And there's many people that are living far below the water table of what God died on the cross to give them. This is not a series of naming it and claiming it and blabbing it and grabbing it and smacking it and I don't know whatever else to, doesn't, I don't know what rhymes. But I do believe there is something in the essence of faith that sees what God is showing them, that goes to where God is leading them, and gives God all the glory when it happens. Do you believe that today? All right. I'd say about 60% is with me. That's all we need. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. And uh, let's read this today. Now the Lord had said to Abram, to Father, get out of your country. Get out. Say it with me. Get out. Get out of your country from your family, from your father's house. I don't think this is for every believer in the room. Uh, this is actually really significant for him because he was raised in Babylon. Uh, the Chaldeans, era of the Chaldeans, was, a, uh, was, was Babylon. It was a pagan nation, polytheistic world. It was a world that they sacrificed their children to, to Baals. It was uh, a world that they, they did uh, temple orgies. And just some of the things they practiced in this ancient world would make Los Angeles uh, look like Provo, Utah. It was kind of mild and chill, right? And sorry, that joke never goes over well. Uh, <laughs> can I laugh at that? I don't know. Uh, but um, it's, it's a wild world. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a crazy world. And so uh, Genesis 12, he says, I want you to get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to the land that I will, say it with me, show you. What does God do? He shows you, right? As the great theologian Jerry Maguire, show me. Show me. Um, show me. <clears throat> well, Sorry. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. This is what God says. I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you and all the families, in you, in you, in you, all the families of the earth shall be. God never blesses us for us to stop with the blessing. The purpose of God's favor on our life is never for us. It's to go through us. That's what God does. It's never for us, it's through us. So he goes on, he makes this promise. So Abraham ends up listening to his invitation. He follows his instruction. He sets out, he gets to the land of Canaan. It's a long journey, about 533 miles. 
So he sets out, he gets to where he's supposed to go, and wouldn't you know it, right as he obeys the voice of God, he gets there, verse 10, and there was a famine in the land. Isn't God's timing kind of funny sometimes? Like, I thought if I obeyed God's voice, things were going to get easier. I thought if I did what God told me to do, that there would be no more challenges. I thought when I started tithing that, like, all of a sudden, my wildest dreams were going to come true. I thought when I served in a small group, brought my kids to youth, that all my problems would fade away. But notice this. He obeyed the instructions, and there was a famine that hit the land. He made a decision, though. Abram went down. Say it with me, down. Very interesting here. Whenever Egypt is referred to in the Old Testament, oftentimes it's referred to as the world system. And if you read the Bible, you'll always find that when you go to Jerusalem, they went up to Jerusalem, went up to Jerusalem, went up to Jerusalem. But whenever they went to Egypt, they went, there's some Bible, Bible uh, kind of theology here, went down to Egypt. That was his choice. That was a boo-boo. And there was a famine. The famine was severe. And it came to pass that when there was close to entering Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, hey, uh, I, listen to this for a second. Look for all the I's and the me's and the my's. You ready? Indeed, I, um, I, I, I know that you are a beautiful woman, which is saying something because she's like 65 or 70. Hello. You're doing good when a king wants to marry you when you're in your 60s and your 70s. This lady was aging like fine wine. It says, uh, I know that you're a beautiful woman in countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see that they will say, this, this is his wife. They will kill me but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. Whenever we return to Egypt, we get selfish. We get selfish. All of Abraham's problems in the end of his life were connected to what he got when he was in Egypt. I'll explain this today. So it goes on, and he, he leaves Egypt finally. He gets out of there wealthy, but his wealth actually screwed his family up. Happens all the time to this day. He got so wealthy that there wasn't enough for, for Lot, his nephew that he loved, and him to live in the same land. So the wealth he gained in Egypt, I'm not saying wealth is bad, but he gained it in the wrong place doing the wrong things. And because of his great wealth, there was no longer room in the land to sustain him and his nephew Lot. And so there was a division amongst their herdsmen. So he said, look, you can choose. He, he passed the test of money and stuff. He said, hey, Lot, you can choose. Lot tasted Egypt. He liked it. That's why it says in chapter uh, 12 in verse, in verse 10, it says, Lot lifted his eyes, saw the plain of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. I believe that the visit to Egypt with Abraham actually gave Lot an appetite for Egypt. So screw Lot up. We'll keep reading. You guys still with me today? Teach a little bit today. So it says that Lot lifted his eyes. He saw that he picked the good land, the land that looked good to the eyes. It looked like Egypt. So they went his way, pitched his tent outside of Sodom, whatever. Verse 14, and the Lord said to Abram after Lot left him, after he left him, lift your eyes now, look from the place where you are, I love the New Living Translation. It says, look as far as you can see. Say with me, as far as you can see. The place that you are, to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west, that would be a good song. <laughs> For all the land which you see, I give to you and to your descendants forever. 
I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, say with me, walk. Say with me, walk. Walk the land through its length and its width, for I will give it to you. Then Abram, in two chapters, he moved his tent. He went out there, and for the third time in two chapters, beneath the, the trees of, he, of Hebron, he built another altar. Third altar that he built. He built an altar to the Lord. This is the beginning of his great life. You guys ready to go? Say with me as far as you can see. God, I just thank you today for the opportunity to walk with you, to live with you. We invite you, Lord, today to meet us here. Whether we are atheists, we're agnostics, whether we're lukewarm believers, whether we've lost our faith, whether we're kind of halfway in and halfway out, or whether we're sold out today, we just want to go deeper. Lead your sheep, feed your sheep, show us the great things you have in store for us today. We love you and we honor you. God, we just pray for great things to happen, Lord, with the Lakers, with the Dodgers, even the Clippers. This season, in Jesus' name, and God's people said, even the angels. Everyone said amen. Amen, 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 amen. I, uh, I got to be honest, um, when I was growing up, I didn't care about tests a whole lot. Uh, I didn't take them as serious as you should. All right. <laughs> it's going to be a tough morning. Um, didn't take tests super serious. I, I think part of it was, I'm not trying to get too sad or anything, but my, my parents are going through divorce. I like to blame, you know, you know. Uh, didn't care as much. So I stopped caring about kind of school tests and stuff, but, but there was one place that I never wanted to goof off too much. Like English tests, didn't really care. Math tests, who cares? I kind of just had these seasons. It wasn't until my mom started paying me for A's and B's that I got serious with tests. Became a 3.5 student, which was something for me. That was like in the point something before that. So I didn't care a lot about school until my mom started enticing me with money. But I would say that even when I didn't care about school, there was one place that I knew, even though I wasn't the smartest of the smart, the sharpest knife in the drawer, the most colorful crayon in the box, I knew there was one place that you cannot afford to mess around. And it was when you were being quizzed at the eye doctor. I was like, look, I'm a joker, but I can't joke around here. This is not a safe place to mess around. I thought, man, if I don't take this serious, when that guy puts that, that space machine on my face and he starts going, is it one or is it two? Is it two or is it one? Two or one, one or two. One or two, two or one. I thought to myself, I cannot mess with this guy. Up until this point, I would mess around with people ordering food. I would mess around on a test. I would joke with my friends. I'd even give my teachers a hard time. But I knew when it pertained to my eyesight that I was going to leave that optometrist's office with glasses that would be called birth control. Are you hearing me today? Have some Coke bottles on my eyes. If I did not take this test, it's okay to laugh in church. Seriously. I thought, man, I got to pay attention. This is a serious matter. If I, if I get this wrong. I was paying attention, like, read that fourth line. I'm like, oh, I'm trying to read this thing. I'm not making up letters. I have, I have some jokes, but I'm not going to share them with you today. Because I know that what you think about my eyesight will determine what goes on my face the rest of my life. It'll determine what, what I look like, what I, what, I, what, I, what I have to look through. And I, I certainly don't want to put something on my face that's not, it's not a match prescription for my actual eyes. 
And I don't know if you ever looked at someone's prescription glasses that are not your prescription. Have you been there before? When I was a kid, I'm like, man, I think glasses are so cool. I just want to have glasses. Now I'm like, probably one day I will have glasses. Eyes are getting weaker as they get older. But I was thinking, man, they're so cool. And I would be like, hey, let me wear your glasses, John. Hey, hey, Mike, let me put on your glasses. I thought they were so cool. And I would always put them on, put them on for like five minutes, just long enough to get a migraine. And it would occur to me, okay, this guy has a different vision and needed a different prescription than I needed. Are you hearing me today? I believe every one of us has a different natural God-given ability to see. I'm not talking about 2015, 2010, 2100. I'm talking about that God gives each one of us a measure of faith to see. I actually believe that your ability to see what God wants to show you is, in a sense, a definition for faith. Hebrews 11 clarifies that faith is a substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not yet. Not yet. So you're telling me that a big part of walking with God is what you're able to see. And my answer is yes. I believe the reason why Abram became the father, the, he went from father to big daddy, come on, because he was able to see with eyes of faith. And I know this, that everyone in this room, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're black or white, regardless if you were raised in a healthy home or a dysfunctional home, Every one of us faces moments in life that are broken, that are challenging, that are discouraging, that are beyond our pay grade, beyond our education, beyond where we could take ourselves. And you have a cosmic dilemma. Will I trust in my own logic or will I call on the God of heaven to show me a way? Show me the way. Show me the way. He told this guy, Abram, which by the way, this is powerful today. I want to remind you today that Abram was, was, a, was a significant guy. Significant. If you never read the Bible, pretty much to summarize for you, in chapter 3 of the Bible, the first three chapters describe God's creation, describe God's intent. In chapter 3, we, we see the fall of humanity. In chapter 4, we, see, uh, uh, we, we go from the fall of humanity. We see uh, murder in chapter 4. We see humanity becoming so screwed up that a flood hits the earth in chapter 6 through chapter 8. We see Noah getting off of the boat as a hero immediately to get drunk, to get naked. There's nudity. And then after that, we see a defiance to God to build a tower to make their own name great. And after all of this, God could have given up. God could have said, I'm done with humanity. There was disobedience, there was murder, there was deception, there was drunkenness, there was nudity, there was rebellion in the first 11 chapters. But instead of destroying humanity, he called a man and his wife to leave their home, to leave their land, so that he might give humanity a new beginning. It's crazy. I want you to think about this. The first Jew was a Gentile. And the first Hebrew was a heathen. He called a guy named Abram. He said, Abram, you're from Babylon. You're from a screwed up family, a messed up background, a wicked, a wicked bloodline. You're part of a polytheistic, which is a fancy way of saying that you have gods for everything in your life. You want rain, you pray to the rain God. You want kids, you pray to the fertility God. You want whatever it is, you have many gods. But I'm telling you, there is one God above all of them. And to this guy, Abram, 
We see A 312 times in 272 verses in the Bible. Arguably the most famous man in the Old Testament. The most, one of the most influential men in history. This is wild. Is that Abram, he's a friend of God. And as I mentioned, it's not because his ability to keep the law. It wasn't because he was a great general. It was because he was a man that had the eyes to see what God wanted to show him. And he made up his mind to go after it. So powerful. He was 75 years old when he started with God. Which leads me to tell everyone in this room today, whether you're in San Juan or you're here, you're never too old to start with God. He was 75. He trusted God for 100 years. This is wild. He separated himself from the corrupt world that was around him. And God wanted to bless the world through Abraham. And I want you to know that even today, 2,000 years later, as believers in Jesus, God still wants to bless the world through you. So awesome that his life is an example to us today of how we walk by faith, how we're saved by faith, how we live by faith. His obedience was evidence of his faith. Obedience when he didn't know where, when, how, or why. No test is impossible and no failure is permanent. Great lives are trained by great promises. Just thinking about this this week as I was praying. I felt like God wanted me to tell somebody here today that it's not your promises to God, it's God's promises to you. Bear weight. And the truth is, today, faith is what we see. We can have what we can see with God. Where we look is where we go. Where we think is where God gives us the authority to create. I need to say that again because that was better than your response. Where we can have where we can see. Where we look is where we will go. Where we think is where God gives us authority to create. How you, I'm going to make it personal today, how you see God is how you will see the world. If you see him today as angry, distracted, disappointed, unhappy, if you see God as stingy, scatterbrained, busy, indifferent, lazy, unsympathetic, or cold, it will affect the way that you talk to him. It'll affect the way you read his, his word. It'll affect the way that you pray. It'll affect the way that you interact with other people. It'll affect your attitude towards his kingdom and his bride. Many people... It's not a problem that's God. It's a problem with their view of God. It's almost like going to the optometrist and not taking the test seriously. Affects the way you see the rest of your life. If I would have goofed off in the optometrist, they would have given me lenses that would have affected the blurry world. And guess what? Because I didn't take the optometrist serious, now the whole world I see is blurry. And I feel like as I was praying this week, there is many of you that are living in a blurry world. Not because God didn't give you eyes to see, but because you've never taken God. We got to take him serious. We got to take him serious. Are you hearing me today? We're going to be a church that takes God serious. I'm telling you that when we do, God promises things like, I will show you, I will make you, I will bless you, I will bless those that bless you, I will curse those that curse you, I'll show you the land, I'll make you a great nation, I'll use you to be a blessing to the nations of the earth. 
And God pretty much, I want you to think about this, the missionary mandate of Christians, of the church, did not begin with John 3, 16. It did not originate in Matthew 28. It begins with God's covenant to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. We are blessed to be a blessing. God enjoyed blessing. God enjoyed blessing the world through an elderly, childless couple. Note this. Without a man that saw God, Without a man that stepped out with God, there would be no, no nation of Israel, no people called the Hebrews, there'd be no book called the Bible, and there'd be no Messiah that came out of that lineage. Imagine what would have happened if an elderly couple in their 70s and their 60s said, I'm comfortable to stay in Haran. Haran is where Terah, his father, died. Incidentally, Terah means delayed, and Haran means barren. And whenever we stay in a place that we're not supposed to be in with God, without God, you will always live a life full of delays with no fruit. And there is many people today spending their entire existence in Haran. I'm not in Babylon anymore, but you're in Haran. And I want to plead with even the older generation. God doesn't want you to die halfway. Haran was halfway to Canaan. Terah set out for Canaan, but he died in Haran. This guy that delayed, listen, delay will always cause you to be barren. And the devil's favorite one-liner to give to God's people is do it later. Serve God later. Take God serious later. Get serious about church later. Read your Bible later. Give God the end of your life. This is the delay that leads, are you hearing me? I'm not trying to be too intense, but I feel like we have a world with Coke bottles on their eyes, blurry at everything because they're not taking God serious. Abram, I want you to go to where I'm going to tell you to go. And because of this one man's obedience, we have a nation, we have a Bible, we have a Messiah, all that came through one man. That the foundation stone of the Old Testament church, the patriarchs, the prophets, the psalmists, the kings of Israel, God prepared all of this through one couple that were willing to see what God wanted to show them. Here's what I felt like God wanted to tell you today, is that the same invitation that was given in Genesis 12 is being given to Orange County today. There's an invitation. Invitation, what's the invitation, Mark? Well, the invitation is this, God speaks. And the first thing I want you to know about God is he is a talker. Can I get a witness in the room? God is not a mute. God is not someone that doesn't like to, he likes to kind of toy with your emotional state. I would say that God is a talker, but I would say that he is a close talker. You ever met a close talker? If you don't know what a close talker is, I'm probably talking about you right now. There are people that invade your personal sphere. And they don't read body cues. They don't understand body. Are you hearing me today? They're socially just not quite that sharp. And they'll keep getting closer to you and you kind of keep doing the reverse. The space stays the same. They have no idea that they're, in, they're encroaching. Safety bubble. God is a close talker. Actually, I was actually with a guy uh, this last week, and he was talking to me, and he had the quietest voice I've ever heard. He was sharing so many awesome testimonies, but I could only hear like every tenth word. He's like, yeah, so this God is a miracle. And doctors were amazed. 
And literally, I became a close listener. I finished the conversation right here. But it wasn't even my eyes, it was my ear. I was like... God is a close talker. You got to get close to him to hear his voice. God's always talking. He's a talker. He is described as the God that uses words to create everything that you see. Do you know that cosmos, atoms, molecules, all of that was made from God's words? He's a communicator. He's a talker. And many people didn't realize this, that invitations begin with God's word to you to say, hey, I can do something great through your life. Here's the invitation. Are you willing to cut ties with Babylon? Are you willing to cut ties with Egypt? Are you tired of living under the bondage of Pharaoh? Truth is on you. You can live the rest of your life in the club. You can live the rest of your life with a selfish, humanistic, materialistic worldview that's all about your kingdom and your life and your ways and what you want, what feels good to you and be the own boss of your own reality and have it your way and just do it your way and live your, are you hearing me today? This, this selfish Egyptian, excuse, I'm not talking about natural Egypt, I'm talking about spiritual Egyptian mentality that Abram gets so selfish thinking about his own safety that he's not thinking about his wife's safety. It's an invitation. It's an invitation. Will you, will you follow me? And I love the God because his invitation is always a little bit vague. He's, I'll show you, but doesn't tell him where, doesn't tell him when, doesn't tell him how. It's just a vague invitation. Hey, you want to go somewhere great? You want to see something that I'll show you? I will. I haven't shown you yet. I will show you. You're not going to see it until you start going. Until you start going. Here's what I've learned is that God is pretty interested in going with goers. Thomas Fuller said there's three types of people. There's intenders, there's endeavors, and there's performers. Tara was an intender, but he never made it to the land of promise. Tara means delay, right? I told you this already. But listen to me. When we willfully disobey, we delay the promise and cause barrenness. No dreams, no visions, no voice. When we live as an intender, Lot was an endeavorer. Up to a point, he would go after God, but he failed miserably because of compromise and his inability to walk in faith. Nowhere in the Bible is Lot recorded of building an altar. And by the way, there's no altar building in Egypt. The problem is that most of the problems that Abraham got into was that he was not building altars when he was in Egypt. He got sucked into the customs, the worldviews, the values. Are you hearing me today? The trends of the land. And he stopped being fruitful. Notice this, that when Abraham abandoned his tent and altar, he got into trouble. He could trace the steps of Abraham by the altars that he left behind. That's how we traced him. He wasn't ashamed to worship God openly, even when he was surrounded by pagan onlookers. Here's what I believe that is so important here today, is there is an invitation that still stands here today that says, anybody that wants to go with God, I will go with. And with this glorious invitation, there's instructions. Instructions. He's like, yes, what I want you to do? I want you to get out. I want you to get away. I want you to separate yourself. I don't, by the way, believe that God ever speaks to us anything that contradicts the Bible. I want to make that clear, because some of you are like, well, God told me to stop talking to my mom. It's like, well, no, that's not biblical. God told me to stop, like, just to hate that guy forever. It's like, eh, not, not biblical. No, God told me it's okay to leave my wife. Eh, 
So he told me it's okay to have this affair. So, I don't think God said that. I think you're trying to manufacture something because you want to feed your flesh. We don't, ever, we don't ever, listen, distort the word of God, say it's the voice of God when it contradicts what he says. So there's an instruction. I want you to get out. Your family, this polytheistic, this pagan, this godless life. People say, Mark, when do you not honor your father and your mother? When do you not honor your governing authorities when the Bible says to do so? We honor those people above us and around us until they ask us to dishonor God. And that's what Peter and John say. Whether you choose, it's better to serve you or to obey God. You decide. We can't help but tell people the things that we've seen that we've heard. So he says this, there's an instruction, there's, and then after there's an instruction, haven't, have you ever noticed this, that when you start actually uh, going after God, there's instructions, and uh, when you obey him, sometimes there's incidents that something goes the way you didn't want it to go. Famine hits the land. Famine hits the land. Famine hits the land. God told us in 2018, move to California, start a church, Orange County, it's a great area, it needs great churches, okay, we'll go, and as soon as we get here, we're here for like uh, 12 months, and then uh, the apocalypse begins. And if you want to make a lot of enemies, start a church during a pandemic. Because you should have more masks, preacher. You should have less masks, preacher. You should be not gathering. You should be gathering. You better not be doing that. You better be doing that. You're not a Christian if you do that. You're, you're not a Christian if you don't do that. God, what are you saying? Abraham's mistake is that when he got to famine, he went back to the familiar. He went to Egypt. He went down. I want to encourage you, if you're in a famine right now, don't go to Egypt. All of his biggest mistakes were traced back to Egypt. Wealth that he got didn't need it from Egypt. He got it there, but he didn't need it there. It screwed up his family with his son, his nephew Lot. Not only did he make that mistake, the, the biggest mistake probably of Egypt was he was given, according to Genesis 16:1, a maidservant for his wife Sarah by the name of Hagar. Yeah, no trip to Egypt, there would be no Ishmael. There'd be no problems like we have today in the Middle East. If Abram would have stayed out of Egypt in famine, problem is, when we get into famine, we go back to the familiar. You hit a store, well, but God didn't answer my prayer, so I'm going back to the bar. God didn't answer my prayer, didn't heal my son, so I don't believe in him anymore. And you go back to Egypt. I want you to know that there's no altars in Egypt. There's no fruit in Egypt. His life didn't blossom until he got out of Egypt again. And when he got out, listen to me, he didn't just have to get out of Egypt. He had to separate himself from the people that God said to separate himself from. If you don't think that, that bad company corrupts good, good habits, look at Jonah. Jonah almost sunk a boat because of his disobedience to God. I believe that your disobedience can bring curse on people. It can bring judgment on people. Notice that God made a promise to bless Abraham, and he was in Egypt, and guess what he did? He started to curse Pharaoh. Pharaoh's household started getting messed up because Abram was in the wrong place doing the wrong things with his wife in a wrong place. Are you hearing me today? This, this is wild. He wasn't a blessing. He was a curse to Pharaoh. Why? Because he was outside of the will of God. And there are many believers today that are outside of the will of God because you hit a storm. And listen to me. Storms will drive you into faith or they will push you into doubt. 
two options in storms. I've seen things go my way, and I've seen things not go my way. And if you did not watch Bill Johnson's message last week, when he articulated, in my opinion, one of the greatest, one of the greatest defenses of how we process sorrow, how that we deal with pain of life in faith with God. He prayed that his wife would get healed. She did it. She went home to heaven. She got healed in that way. She's in eternity today. And he got up there and he said, you know what, you know what the backslider does inside of all of us? Is we point the finger at God when he doesn't give us what we want. It's easy to throw rocks at God when he doesn't answer our prayers. Why are human beings so quick to give God the blame when it doesn't go our way? But we're so quick not to give him any credit when it does. We have a world that's robbing his praise and deferring his sovereignty. I don't want to be like that. I want to say, God, in this incident, I'm coming back to you. Lot left, and guess what? When Lot left, good things started happening. God spoke to him again. This is what I want to land. This is the last three points. I just have three points for you today. Is that God gave him after this incident. There was an infraction. He goes to Egypt, as I told you. He breaks some, some, some things that God didn't want him to do. He made some big mistakes. But once he got back, here's the good news. When you screw up, you're always one turning to God away from where you're supposed to be. I would actually say that when we mess up, when we fail, God wants to use those things to drive us back to him. If you missed it, guess what we all have sometimes? Say this, go back. When you miss it, say with me, go back. When you stop believing, come on, say with me, go back. Many people forget that if you keep running from God after an incident, after a problem, after a Egypt, listen to me, you'll keep repeating the cycle of dysfunction the rest of your life. The only way you break the cycle is when you go back to God. You go back, you return to Him. And when we return, it creates a new beginning. One scholar said this way, the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. Not an excuse to sin, but an encouragement to repent. I believe that when we return to God, we begin to imagine again. And the whole series is going to be about your ability to dream with God, to co-create with God. The next few weeks, we're going to talk about it. But notice that when he got out of Egypt, when he got out of the incident, when he got out of the infraction and he turned back to God, it says, actually, if you read it in Genesis chapter 13, it says, verse 1, then Abram went up from Egypt. When he got out of Egypt, when he got away from Lot, he said, get away from your family, and he strung his nephew along. I'm telling you that sometimes God's not speaking clearly when you keep people in your world that are driving you back to Egypt. Lot loved Egypt, man. You're like, no, I love this guy. I can't leave him. He's my best friend. I can't break up with this girl. She'll never be a Christian if I leave her. You're not her savior. And if she's leading you back to Egypt over and over, here's what I know. Here's what I know. Is that when Lot left, God began to speak again. And the first thing that he said to him is that I want you to look up to the north, to the south, to the east, and to the west. He says, as far as you can see. Notice it wasn't without God. It was with God. I don't believe in this, this, just, this, this positive 
you know, optimistic thinking that, well, if I can just, and I do believe there's power in your imagination. God gave every one of you. I actually think that one of the greatest gifts that prove that we are created in God's image is our ability to imagine, our ability to dream, our ability to have visions. Are you hearing me today? San Juan, listen to me. I believe this is so powerful. God gives Abram a threefold instruction. Three things happened for him to start seeing what God wanted him to see and doing what God wanted him to do. Is the first thing that he had to do after he broke ties with Egypt, after he separated from Lot. And if we're going to be seers, if we're going to be people that walk with God, number one, say this with me, you got to see it. What you see when you're in the presence of God is what matters in life. What you see when you're in the presence of God is what matters in life. It's amazing to me, man. Last night as I was praying, I just started weeping, thinking about in 1999, the camp that, that, that completely altered my entire life. And I started weeping, not just because of what God did for me, but I started thinking, God, this week you're going to do it for so many of our kids. Listen, this is so awesome. What you think about when you're in the presence of the Most High God, worshiping Him, when you're talking to Him, what you see when you're with God is what matters in life. You're like, Mark, I'm at church today and I'm thinking about solutions for my business. Guess what? That matters to God this week. And God dropped that little golden idea in your lap today because he goes, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get honor through you building something great. I got an idea how to get my marriage back on track today. Guess what? That is, listen, that matters to God. A lot of times we're rebuking the devil. Why aren't you paying attention to the message? It's because God is speaking to you. It's in church that we get our greatest ideas. It's crazy that he travels from Ai, which means ruined, to Bethel, which is the city of God. We left the city of ruins to travel to the city of God, and that's when we start getting dreams again. God spoke. I'm almost finished. And I believe that today, as a church, God's saying, Oceans, what do you see? I'll tell you what I see. I see 3.2 million people having a church they need to go to. I see, I see literally no church in Orange County large enough until we have to turn, listen, until everyone in this county knows that there is a God in heaven. I see it hard for people in Southern California not to go to heaven because there are so many people that are totally full of the presence of the living God. I'll tell you what I see. I see churches at maximum capacity. I see people meeting in houses, coffee shops. Are you hearing me today? At fairgrounds, giving God the glory. Beaches littered with people getting baptized. What do you see? You can have what you see. You can have what you see. You can have what you see. We're going to be a church that sees what God's showing us. Personally and collectively. Say with me. See it. When you see it, what do you do next, Mark? You got to walk it. It says that Abraham got the promise and then he went out. He looked where he saw and then he walked out to it. And it says he walked the width of it. He walked the length of it. He walked the breadth of it. Listen to me. Too many people just stop with seeing. Faith is action. Faith goes, God, I believe that you're going to give me a house. And it goes beyond just seeing it to actually going, we're going to walk it today. We don't have an agent. That's all right. We're going to break in the backyard. We're going to walk this thing. We're going to declare, like Joshua, that everywhere the sole of our feet treads upon. We're going to be like Deuteronomy, like Moses. Everywhere the sole of our foot treads upon, God is giving it to us. Deuteronomy 11, verse 24. 
You can have what you can see, but if you see it, you got to walk it. My kids aren't serving God, then go into their bedroom. Go into their bedroom. Walk around their bed and say, God, I see Johnny coming home. I see Susie getting off the streets. They're getting off drugs. They're getting out of the home. They're getting out of rehab. God, you're going to do a great work. I see it. I'm walking it. And the last thing that he did, and the last thing that he did, I'm out of time, as he built an altar. You know what we do with the promises of God? We see him. Everyone stand. Come on, we're almost done. Say with me. See it. Walk it. Sing it. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. He saw the land. He walked the land. You know what he did in the land? He built an altar. I'll never forget Rashad and I's first house. We had no money. We had no connections. We had nothing. But I found a house that I thought was so cute. It wasn't some ridiculous, like, $20 million home. It was outside of our reach, but not by 10 football fields. We went to this new neighborhood in Idaho and Meridian. We looked in the windows of this little tiny uh, track home. We had no money. I spent every dollar I had and then some buying her wedding ring. Come on, somebody. But you know what I did have is I had a word from God. He said, Mark, I've given you an invitation. You've been following my instructions. You've been turning to me in incidents. Yeah, you've been a God that you've been a guy that's actually called out to me when you've infraction, uh, fractured things. And guess what? Now I want you to imagine. God begins to inspire our imagination. And we did. We looked in the windows. We said, God, I see ourselves in that living room with uh, 35 high school students. We're gonna lead them to Jesus. We're gonna do game nights in this house. We're gonna feed our friends. We're gonna host small groups. And with eyes of faith, we saw ourselves. Listen, maybe money's not your issue. Listen to me. If you can see it with God, walk it. And if you can walk it, build an altar. We lifted our hands in this little house, Cobblefield Crossing. It was off Loretta Street. And we lifted our house and said, God, we have no money, but we have a God that has everything. I am convinced the great things that human beings accomplish in life, it's not about status and incomes and families. It's about men and women that can see it with God you hear me today and I feel like praying over our church that we're gonna be great seers and we're not just big talkers we're gonna be big walkers we're not gonna just talk to talk we're gonna come on we're gonna walk it and as we walk it guess what we're gonna do is we're gonna build altars on it I went to Maryland before we got that 18 million dollar building when we didn't have five million dollars in 42 days and I built an altar Every day for two weeks, I went to Maryland's and I just built an altar. I saw it, I walked it, and I built an altar. And I believe, listen to me, Ocean's Church, whether it's your child, it's your marriage, it's your business, if you will see it with God, if you will walk it with God, and you will build altars on it, God will do a work in our day that you would not believe. Close your eyes today, listen to me. I know this is faith. I know some people are turned off by messages like this. Well, this is just... This is just like, I don't know, just positive, blah, 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 blah. Look at Abraham. He had a word. He saw it. He looked out as far as he could see. Someone said, why is Israel so small? I think it's not huge because it's only as far as Abraham could see. I think if Abraham could have saw 500 miles, it would have been a bigger land. God gave him as much as he could see. 
I think you and I will die at the end of our lives accomplishing the promises of God like Hebrews says in chapter 6 verse 14 that through patience and through faith we inherit the promises of God would you close your eyes today say in one and here say with me say Lord what are you saying to me through this message how many believe that God has shown you something to look at today how many believe that God has a promised land for you a Canaan for you you know why Egypt isn't very satisfying because you were built for Canaan yeah, you don't like it in Egypt very much because you were built for Canaan. You're a terrible sinner. You're not like your other buddies, your other friends that are desensitized because God has given you a heart that knows Him. God, I pray that I would see it. How many feel like God wants to show you something even greater? Lift your hands. Who believes that God can give you a fresh vision? Even in old age, God gives new dreams. Even new dreams. You're 75. God, God's got a new dream for you. Yeah, I feel it. A new dream for you today. 85. Got a new dream for you. How many say, Mark, God's given me a dream. I need to start walking it today. I'm going to walk it today. Come on, give God a wave off for you. If you don't want to start this week, I'm putting some feet to my faith. I'm going to walk it. I'm going to walk it. And how many say, Mark, I can walk it, but I want to worship at it. I want to worship at the places that I see God leading me and giving to me in the future. I want to worship there. Come on, raise your hands all over this place. We pray a prayer today all over the tents all over San Juan just pray this prayer together say Jesus I want to see everything you want me to see I want to walk it I want to worship on it I want to build altars Lord today get me out of Egypt get me out of compromise get me out of Babylon get me away from family habits generational curses darkness today I receive your invitation to go to Canaan to go into the promised land out of the dark into the light in Jesus name last two things we do today you say Mark I'm not living for Jesus but man if you're telling me what today is real it's true God is good I want to live my life for him he's knocking at your heart your heart's beating out of your chest You've either walked away from God, you're not currently living for Him, or you've never known Him. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. All over these tents, all over San Juan, eyes closed, eyes closed, eyes closed. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward. All I want you to do is raise your hand. It's a public declaration that says, God, I'm ready today to invite you into my life. I want to see your future. I want to walk into it with you, and I want to build altars today from this point forward that you all over Oceans Church. Would you lift your hands today? I'll give you three seconds. I want to give my life back to Jesus. For the first time, I want to rededicate my life. Or maybe today you've never given your life to Jesus, and today you want to put your faith in God. I'll give you three seconds. Hands are already going up. One. Yeah, there's more hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two. I'll give everybody that respond right now. Real high. Keep it up for me. Three. 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 Real high. Real high. Real high. I see two over there. Four over there. That's six. Real high. Real high. Six and seven. Seven hands. Anybody else? Anybody else? Awesome. Seven hands. Awesome. Ocean, San Juan, put your hand up right now. Just for, that's you. I'm raising my hand. And all over the room, pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, I invite you, like Abraham, to guide me from this day forward. I declare Jesus Christ. He is my Lord. So lead me out of Egypt, out of Babylon, out of bondage into your marvelous light. 
Fill me with your spirit. Speak to me as I read your word. And give me a great community, church of faith in Jesus' name. Last thing we do today, that's awesome, by the way. Last thing we do, I'm out of time. You need healing in your body. Just one more time, lift your hands. Someone with like appendicitis, God's healing you right now. Someone just got your gallbladder removed, and God right now, is there's still been like a, a lingering pain, and God is healing you right now in Jesus' name. Someone has some sort of like, uh, they're like masses, like tumors or cysts that are in your intestines, like some sort of like things, and it's causing pain, like ulcers and stuff in your, in your intestines. God is healing you right now. If you need a physical touch from God, you're in the right place. Lift your hands. It's a sign of saying, God, I'm ready for a miracle. God, I'm ready. I believe that you can do it. Hands up all over. Last thing we do today. Hands up, hands up, hands up, hands up, hands up. If someone's hands up next to you, just go ahead and lay your hand on their shoulder. If someone's hands up next to you, lay your hand on their shoulder. And one last time we pray a prayer of faith. San Juan in here. Say, Jesus, you said, lay hands on the sick. And you said they would recover. So with our hands on them, we ask you, Spirit of God, heal them. Everywhere they're hurt, everywhere they're broken, everywhere they're in bondage, fill them with your spirit. In Jesus Christ's name. Someone's getting free from like a lifelong addiction to drugs. If you believe that he's doing it, come on, give him a good hand clap. I love you. Come on, give God a good hand clap today.